0: campaign has taken away his Twitter in the the last two days they they had so little confidence in his self-control they said we're just gonna take away your Twitter now if if somebody can't handle a Twitter account they can't handle the nuclear Welcome to Politics, a psychological experiment conducted by the CIA using the remaining scientists involved in MKUltra. I'm a brainwashed comedian from New Zealand named Tim Batt, and joining me, as always, is a professor with no ethics drafted by the US government to torture people, Dr. Jeb Lund. Not a real doctor. Hello, Jeb. Welcome. You remember MK Ultra? It's back, baby, an election form.
1: I do. You know, the, I, I was so upset. I, I was reading an article uh, just a couple months ago about how apparently it's really hard to get good acid in America so uh, anymore, just because it, you know, I guess, manufacturers died out or it's become more difficult. And I'm, I'm glad to know that Uncle Sam is bringing that back to uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, g- reboot our remote viewing experiments, especially since uh, COINTELPRO Pro is already just, you know, kicking it. We've got 15,000 agents apparently with no brief running around the country. Um, Damn. Yeah.
0: Apparently, if I remember rightly, there's like, I've forgotten his name, but there's a guy who's kind of known as the father of LSD who did die kind of recently, like in the last five years maybe. Yeah. He at one point was producing like 90% of the entire uh, American supply of acid. And uh, to that man, I tip my hat, I pour out a tiny bit of my 40-ounce and onward with the electoral experiment. It feels like weaponized acid, actually, the kind of media environment we're in. What's it like being in America mere hours away from the, uh, the final election day, Jeb? What's the mood? What's the tenor?
1: I feel like a lot of people are tense because it's what they feel like they ought to do. And in the same way that you get that kind of mass hysteria of, uh, you know, we, we, you have an event... You know, that everybody's supposed to feel adulation or anxiety about. And so you see people checking in on Facebook with greater and greater extremities of, of excitement or discomfort because it's just sort of assumed that this is what we do today. And hmm. so I've, I've seen a lot of people going like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I'm, I'm going to just be on pins and needles or, you know, I'm uh, like, maybe I should drink, but I don't know how I'll cope with the aftermath if I'm not, you know, don't have a clear head. And like... You know, I don't know. Like, As somebody who who will sit in the same position for an entire game if my team, my baseball team, scores a run, because I think that staying in that position will help them to score more runs, I really (laughs) should not be making fun of people for being superstitious. But, you know, what are you going to do? Just, it's going to be over soon. Take a nap. I don't know, you know, like have a...
0: Fuck, I love this attitude coming from you, Dr. Lund. That is great. Hydrate relax eat well take some reds position is not going to change the outcome of this election which i hasten to add judging by um the uh hugely i think like historically large early voting numbers is kind of already done
1: well okay so that's that's one of those things where i'm i want to be excited about it and we can kind of talk about that later because i know you you mentioned something along those lines but You know, I want to get excited about it, but early voting numbers have been going up just sort of across the board. So when you see all these people coming out for early voting, I think a mistake that a lot of people are making is they're saying, okay, we've got like X hundred thousand people in this county who have early voted. Well, that just means that, you know, when you you kind of crunch what we would expect on the day of, it's going to be through the roof. And
0: I don't know if you can hear that, but there's fireworks happening in my backyard right now. I apologize for that. Um, The reason is, in New Zealand, we celebrate Guy Fawkes, which is our version of Fourth of July, Yeah. uh, which just did a very brief history lesson for those who don't know. Uh, Guy Fawkes was a man in the 17th century, I think, who tried to blow up uh, Parliament in England. And we celebrate this attempted terrorist plot uh, by blowing up a small piece of our backyard annually. So apologies for that noise, Jeb, as you were.
1: And because you're all fanatical Catholics, right? (laughs) um,
0: Only half of us.
1: No but it's just sort of you know the, the the kind of like counting the chickens before they hatch thing. I, I'm gonna be interested to see if there is sort of a ceiling to these numbers and, and what, what you're gonna see is like there, there was a ton of early voting because it's just more convenient and people have gotten used to it over time. Uh, yeah. And then we're gonna we, we won't see nearly the sort of explosive numbers on the day. So you know I don't, I don't want I'm anxious about that, but like I said, I'm not gonna do anything about it.
0: So do you see this more of a refinement of the entire election process that happens over time and that people are getting more used to the fact that because you idiots hold your, ele- your general election on a Tuesday, which your average typical American has to, I don't know, work or get the kids or something, uh, that they're sorting out their lives to be able to do it in the weekends when available and that sort of thing, rather than some sort of um, one-off rush to the polls in response of the Trump threat?
1: Yeah, that's part of it. One. um, Two, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, even sort of affluent people who could get off from work to do it in the middle of a Tuesday uh, have been affected by, let's say, if you're the Republican Party and you want to start shuffling around where voting machines are or reduce them in certain precincts so that the lines are longer and discourage voting. Well, that'll that'll bind up people who aren't just black. So I think just the, the, the ease and opportunity of it has become more normal. Uh, I know after 2000, there was such a paranoia about uh, uh, getting your vote counted that uh, move on and a lot of democratic outreach groups encouraged a lot of absentee balloting because that mm-hmm. way you had a paper trail because in 2004 there was a great deal of paranoia about how easy it was to hack D bold machines. I think like, yeah. I think somebody hacked it. And this is this, I'm quoting from an old Harper's issue from 2004, but it was, I think like 32 seconds was all it took to remove and uh, the data card and replace it with another. Um, so
0: there- That there, conversation, by the way, is still very much out there in the um, deep, dark recesses of the internet where I hang out. play the uh, Donald the Donald subreddit. I'm sure that's going to be, um, those debolt machines are going to be a point of lively discussion in the next few days.
1: Yeah, of course, like the, the reason why everybody was paranoid about them and wanted to use absentee ballots in 2004 for the paper trail was that, you know, the, the, the contractor, the company, that made Diebold, had far more ties to conservatism than to the left. So it was thought, well, you know, if, if this is going to be an easily co-optable machine, it would probably be done via the, the manufacturer who would be eager to, to assist uh, uh george w bush so you know just goes to show like how malleable the actual like yeah. evidence for these conspiracy theories is
0: it's a it's a big old shrug emoji from me the right claimed it the left claimed it i don't i don't fucking know man I don't know. Well, look, I, w- it's kind of from a technical standpoint, though it is kind of interesting. There are a couple of good articles. I think um, Ars Technica they tend to cover this around election time. They've, I assume, they've got a good article about getting into the um, specifics of how easy it is to hack those voting machines. But we are not experts in that, nor am I an expert in anything in particular, Jeb.
1: Well, yeah, I was going to say, like we're getting a little in the weeds, and before we did that and started to focus on the negative stuff um, too much. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question um, sort of performatively. I'm asking for our, our viewers who are seeing with their ears, who are really, yes. who've, you know, they've got the whole daredevil thing. They, they're picturing you, um, you know, surrounded by angry exploding Catholics in New Zealand. And they're wondering... I am
0: known as New Zealand's Ben Affleck, by the way. So that uh, metaphor is apt. So,
1: you know, and, and I think they're probably wondering, you know, why why does this matter so much to you i mean of you know you're you're on the other side of the world almost literally um sure. you know uh you don't have to answer to any of these people your healthcare is free um you know they filmed the hobbit and the lord of the rings there you know you, it's not like you're going to want to take off and move to uh, to ames iowa so uh, you know, what's... And boy, do we never get
0: sick of being reminded about that movie franchise.
1: Look, I don't know anything else that was filmed in New Zealand. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I assume there was a really good documentary about Captain Cook. but
0: um... Nope, not that I'm aware of anyway. Well, it um, probably didn't make look, it there. To to remove the snark and um, attempt to answer your question earnestly, I don't know if there's a particularly sexy or interesting answer to this, but here, here's, here's what's happened, Jeb. Um, number one in New Zealand our uh, news media sucks massively it's been kind of falling apart at the seams over time uh, due to I guess market forces is what you would call it we're such a small country we've really only got two major tv networks that are free to air and there's one uh, called MediaWorks here which controls tv3 which was sort of like it's, the, it's, it's one of the two big six o'clock news channels that everyone watches at night, and they also own a large portion of the TV, uh, well, the, the vast majority of the TV comedy scene here in New Zealand, and I'm constantly talking shit about them on Twitter and uh, destroying any chance I, I will ever have of um, being a TV comedian here in New Zealand. That's good, but, man. Don't sell uh, out. Well, that's where I'm coming from. <laughs> I'll keep my integrity and mountains of credit card debt. Thank you very much. So I've
1: got um, it. What you're saying is you're going to relocate to LA and you need to know who's going to be the overlord here because well, that, what I'm that shit is, is played over there. Yeah, as a result of
0: the media environment here being so like shit, I've actually found myself over time really disengaging with New Zealand politics and uh, New Zealand current events, which is not a good thing. You shouldn't do that. But what I've been attracted to, like a big blinking LED light with cool sounds attached to it and some animated sign, is the American political scene because it's so loud and animated and it's not always super crazy. Like, oftentimes, because I've sort of been following uh, national US politics for a, a few years now, there genuinely is... Uh, a bunch of smart there are a bunch is yeah singular for bunch there is a bunch of smart people who are articulating different ideas from different parts of the political spectrum and you've got all these states who swing different ways you mentioned last time talking about the um, the states being laboratories of democracy and different ideas that get tested out and it's like it's cool america is this big crazy experiment that's going on kind of philosophically and politically and it's fun to watch that happen and uh i know a lot of people in america wouldn't agree with this but you do have a really cool media environment if you know how to navigate it properly i think so like you've got to kind of spend more time consuming a little bit from everywhere to get this middle point but if you do i i I do think there's more good stuff happening over in the states that's kind of the first initial thing to do with my short attention span and then the more important kind of serious answer is that i don't know if americans have a great appreciation of this unless they travel a bit but for new zealand and a lot of countries in the west so we're talking like australia canada the united kingdom american foreign policy in particular really sets The hegemony for the rest of the world and we all follow you and new zealand follows very closely if barack obama says jump our prime minister john key says how high immediately there's no question of american authority or even american policy direction under our current government we had um, a previous prime minister helen clark who was recently in the running to become the first uh head of the female head of the un i think um uh, who looks like she's not going to get that role now, but that's by the by. But she she was a little bit more um, rebellious against the US, and that was kind of a hangover from a previous centre-left government uh, led by the late David Lange, who was the one who made it a real uh, centrepiece of his um, political career and campaigning to disallow nuclear ships from coming to New Zealand because um, we don't have uh, atomic power here. And... Uh, so over time we've drifted closer and closer towards america that's why i like to pay attention to it on the kind of national scale to find out what ideology is going to be guiding us and the rest of these smaller countries that follow uh the states and are left in their political wake
1: i i wondered if it might be that Uh, the the other kind of enlightened self-interest reason i thought might be that uh you know it, it it seems like we tend to export uh um like if there's if there's a bad idea in american conservatism um you know you guys will get it you know five years later or 10 years later something like you know that
0: yeah i think there's aspects of that for sure we get everything like we get the diet version of everything america puts out on every end of the political spectrum it feels like you guys have just got a stronger I don't, it's it's interesting because you're definitely positioned, your entire political spectrum is positioned more to the right of New Zealand. And I think of most countries, not by heaps, but by enough. Most countries that
1: don't have leaders that wear epaulettes, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. But then again, you've still got these significant figures that pop up like Bernie Sanders, who we, it, it would be untenable in New Zealand. You wouldn't get anywhere being a 70-year-old... Uh, Minch, who's just rolling around talking about socialism outwardly, so it's kind of everyone has the potential to get their um, little piece in the spotlight as long as they're loud enough in America. And I kind of like that about that country, about your country.
1: <laughs> no, like there's there's always that impasse in the conversation where somebody's like, "Well, I kind of enjoy this about your country," and you're like, "Well, okay." I mean, it's sort of like when you take, I think it's like when you take somebody to Taco Bell who's never been to Taco Bell, and they're like, "Wow." <laughs>
0: That's probably a fair analogy because there's a good deal of novelty that's inherent in my love of it. Because you know, obviously, I get pretty insulated from the direct fallout of it. You know, the immediate um, consequences of these big figures on both sides of the spectrum.
1: Like the, it's kind like of like you a
0: big thought experiment.
1: I was going to say, like you, the whole like dying of preventable illness thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How so? Explain that to me a little bit.
1: Oh, I mean, don't you've got you? You guys have national health, right? national we health sure service do. yeah see there you go i mean you know if I, I live in florida and our governor said oh free money for the Obamacare, you know for the medicare expansion no thanks so there's i just love a- the
0: language around those sorts of debates in america as well um like the the free money thing and i know that you were using that to kind of ape the conservative talking points on the issue but it's like if you look at the economics of a single-payer nationalized health care system holy fuck does it save a lot of money for the whole country Oh, absolutely! But it's a conversation for another seat of people for another day for another podcast, probably.
1: Yeah, no, it's and and I was gonna say like the other thing that you're you're spared in New Zealand. So like one of my favorite things to do is when I go to the doctor and they ask what I do, and I say that I'm a journalist, and then they just will not let me go until I admit to what kind. Then when they find out <laughs> I'm a political journalist, the people who are taking care of me and who give me medicine, uh, and and treatment will then harangue me about socialized medicine for as long as they have, like, for as long as their recall of various email forwards will hold out. And then In which
0: direction do they harangue you, like, politically speaking?
1: Oh, like, very much to to the right. Um, And, 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 like, I, I can't fault them because in many cases, these are people who went into massive debt to become a doctor. So... Sure, you know, they they're not going to get the immediate benefit of a socialized system because they're not the doctors who were trained under it and who had a subsidized education. On the other hand, um, you know they they had to be pretty good at math to dispense uh, prescriptions and understand that. And so when you point out that before Obamacare the United States spent more as a percentage of GDP than any other OECD nation on healthcare, and we still had fifty million people uninsured, you know they they, they somehow balk at like you're mentioning that as maybe an indication that the system was fucked. And so he like, yeah. and, and so I can't argue with them because like in some cases, you know, these are the people who, who uh, dispense the Vicodin. Uh, I have an, I have an old injury. <laughs> so like never, never pick a fight with your long-term pain management doctor, but if you can, please make sure that he's not a libertarian.
0: Yeah. So make sure that your doctor isn't Ron Paul and you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, thus concludes the first third of this episode of politics. And I I hasten to add as well, because we didn't set this out at the start. Jeb, it is the middle of the fucking night for you. And this is, we are on election eve as we record this.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's 2.51 a.m. And I gotta, like, as soon as we're done with this, I gotta try and finish. uh, I have one piece coming out tomorrow and then ideally another one. And somewhere I gotta sleep for four hours and then try and hit a bunch of precincts, so...
0: Oh, boy Well Jib's going to Go to sleep For precisely 20 seconds And we'll be Back with the Second third Of this episode Of politics
1: But we are Somewhat different Personalities Look at this Mask Look at this Mask Oh wow Look at that Looks Looks just Like me Nice set of Hair I'll say that. Is there Any place More fun To be Than a Trump rally Right
0: Welcome back to Politics, a pre-recorded internet radio show that pits two unlikely foes against each other from opposite sides of the world, while two political foes fight for their lives from opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm Tim Batt, he's Jeb Lund. Yowza. Jeb. Jeb, I want to play a word. <laughs> Yowza, okay. <laughs> it is the middle of the night for you, huh, buddy? <laughs> no, that was good. I'm not going to let that slip by the radar. <laughs> was,
1: was, was that ad-libbed, or like I didn't know we were doing material? Like...
0: <laughs> no, I wrote that one. Okay. Right. But I wrote it in a hurry. And like moments ago, we don't need to dwell on how I come up with my material. That's fine. Um, What I do want to do, Jeb, is I have assembled a list of all of the names of the Republican and Democratic candidates who we may have forgotten through the course of the last few months. Um, It wasn't always clinton versus trump and what i would love to do is throw some names at you and, and we'll play a word association game where you can tell me what feeling is elicited by this memory this ghost of the political past coming back into the front of your brain okay does that sound right to you
1: yeah uh, wait, you am, I, am i allowed more than one word like I would not whole yes, sentences absolutely just, okay all right. yeah
0: i'm not i'm not gonna put a parameter like one syllable or anything on you you speak from the heart but keep it brief because there are so many people here okay the um, seventeen original candidates who were running to be the Republican candidate this year uh, were George Pataki. Abortion. He was going to uh, kick off with one word.
1: He was. He was the uh, yeah uh, abortion. He was the only uh, pro-choice Republican candidate. So I don't know why he ran.
0: Lindsey Graham. Gay. <laughs> like. Or as I, you say, Lindsey Graham.
1: Yeah. yeah
0: he's uh, he's, he's uh, not gay just for to put that on the record effeminate would certainly be a word that I would use I, th-
1: I think there are a lot of a lot of terms that we could dig out of uh, 70s sitcoms for him like confirmed bachelor or you know like man about <laughs> town or uh, my favorite euphemism for him is uh, again and like I'm cribbing from Charlie Pierce of Esquire Huckleberry J Butch Me Up
0: <laughs> Jesus that's a- <laughs> reference lost on me wait lindsey graham is he's married though right isn't he no
1: i think he's like a lifelong bachelor if i remember correctly oh far out yeah
0: and not to say that there aren't gay guys out there with wives we've all read a newspaper it's a you know um, it's a Bob, spectrum
1: and you know enjoy it
0: certainly is uh bobby jindal
1: uh kenneth the page uh from <laughs> 30 rock uh, like I'm, yeah 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 that's
0: pretty good nice Scott Walker. Bald spot. Where?
1: Uh, on the crown of his head. He's got male pattern baldness and he claims that he is not actually balding. It just doesn't grow there anymore ever since he struck the underside of an open cabinet door with his head.
0: That is such an elaborate and specific excuse for male pattern baldness. Why wouldn't you just say you're losing your hair?
1: Well, I mean, and and this is probably unfair of me to say, although I like, I, I feel like anybody who wants to dispute it i can give them ample links to prove this point he's a massive idiot (laughs) okay uh speaking of rick peary uh rick uh oh yeah rick it's like i don't know why i was like that can't be right and like it's matthew perry no um (laughs) glad i don't think
0: he reigned for the republicans (laughs)
1: um uh no i meant like the commodore uh no uh glasses glasses
0: that's that's your one word for Rick Perry.
1: That's the one thing he brought to this election that was different from 2012. He started wearing glasses. That's true.
0: Did anyone ask him what the departments of government were this time? Because that was his big fall from grace last time, right? That he wanted to get rid of all of them and then couldn't name them?
1: Yeah, he had three and he, he blanked on the, the third and then he turned to every, uh, someone on the stage, I think it was uh, Ron Paul, and said, like, you, you, yeah, you know, that's right. and, and then, you know, Ron Paul threw it out there, and then that was a gaffe. But, like, honestly, you know, everybody brain farts on something. It's, you know, it, it wouldn't have been persuasive of anything if Rick Perry hadn't already been kind of a dunce in multiple other respects. But, but yeah, he brought out the glasses, I... and then, I don't know, if somebody asked him, it didn't really stick long.
0: Yeah, he, he flamed out pretty early. I, I was actually thinking about that 2012 moment he had on the debate stage recently with the context of Trump. And you're right, that moment by itself, we all you know have moments of brain farts, whatever you want to call it. But it's how you deal with them when you are supposed to be a professional communicator, which is how I would describe people who are vying for national political office in the States. Like More than anything else, you are a communicator. And if I remember the moment quite clearly in that he was just real embarrassed and apologized at the time a few times in a row. And Trump wouldn't do that. He would find some way to just sidestep onto something or call the debate moderator a liar for no reason in particular or be able to pivot to something immediately. And it was like intelligence isn't the thing that will get you through the gauntlet. It's, it's communication ability. Anyhow,
1: well, that and the perception of whether you're winning or not. Right. So when Perry has that gaffe in 2012, he's not, you know, unless I'm much mistaken, he was nowhere close to the head of the pack. But if you had, you know, if you had like a Reagan type, who was, you know, at the top, or at least, you know, uh, closing on the leader in the polls, and he has that brain fart moment, and he can just turn confidently and say, help me out here, I'm having a, you know, I'm just having a quick brain fart about the name, but you all know I know the uh, the department. But, you uh, know, you remember my stump speech, hit me with it. And then if the guy doesn't p- comply, get, listen, we have to be adversaries here. I understand he's protecting his turf. But uh, yeah, as for the other two, and just go into it. And like, if you're, you know, the, winning is such a, a, a disinfectant for everything. So if you're ahead and you do that, it shows that you're confident in it and at ease. And if you're behind, it shows how bumbling and flailing you are and you know it's it's one of the stupid things about kind of horse race journalism where we will start to make excuses for people who don't need them and then people who desperately need the excuses will say like you'll just have to do better like everybody wants to you know to to basically forgive the prom king and you know all the the striver nerds who have actually commanded the material and are going to you know work 10 times as hard for our affections we just kind of chuck them out
0: Man, that's pretty insightful. And I like that people listening will just project their own candidate into what you were just saying in political situation. It was good. I was just flashing up with Trump, that kind of self-actualizing winner who read The Secret and really fucking ran with it. Trump is what happens when The, the Secret gets on steroids. You just believe something with your whole heart. Um, next name on my list is Rick Santorum.
1: Just the definition of his last name. I mean, like, there's really nothing I can think of. Um, oh, although... Yes, yeah, Savage really fucked him on that one, huh? Yeah. The The other one would maybe be uh, uh, blah people. I don't know if you remember in 2012 when he said, uh, you know, I don't want to take mm. your tax dollars and give it to black people. And then everyone yeah. went, holy shit. And then he said, no, I meant blah people. Because it's a term that everyone uses.
0: <laughs> yeah, he claimed that he got halfway through the word, then didn't know what the second half of the sentence was, and said blah. Yeah, the recording's out there. You can hear him say black people. Yeah. It's uh, it's no good. He is a, um, he is a blah I, person. <laughs> to Rick Santorum's uh, credit, I'm not sure why I'm rushing to this man's defense considering the two things we've said about him so far, but um, I did hear him, I think it was this year, apologize for his comments, which earned him the definition from uh dan savage which i believe so so uh, rick santorum uh fundamentalist christian and very conservative prominent gay voice in america dan savage um suggested that we redefine santorum as being uh the mixture of frothy uh, shit and semen yeah that's right frothy mix frothy mixture of semen it's
1: the frothy mixture of lube and fecal matter that is often the byproduct of anal sex
0: there you go um really yeah oh actually i know what it was i think it was rick santorum was articulating that old classic argument that if we uh let the homos get married next thing you know uh dogs and men will be getting married yeah it, be, it was a it was a riff on that
1: yeah man on dog i think it was the exact there phrasing. you go next it would be man on that's,
0: dog. that's it and he walked that back uh either this year or late like last year so you know I I've always got an open heart for people who want to apologize and, and correct past behavior. Um, Also, also, look, I mean,
1: if we're, if we're going to rehabilitate Rick Santorum here, I just want to say like his, his book was one of the least abusive of the candidate books that I had to read this year. I read all of them um, barring, I think one from Kasich and, uh, and Hillary Clinton's tomes. Uh, And he actually was closer than anyone to Trump on articulating anxiety about uh, free trade, And, and so he kind of, you know, in his book and on the stump, he came close to saying, well, you know, there's a problem here when we can't protect our native industry. And then he just, you know, he got to that critical moment and then turned all Republican and just said, but free trade is great, you know, and and so, you know, just, well, I'm not going to wreck tariff barriers. And, and you're like, dude, you almost kind of get the point of what you're, you're. Yeah. constituency might want to hear and then he just never quite walked through the door he opened it he took a look and he didn't go through um and it's too bad because like of all of them you know Ted Cruz is by far the most eloquent naturally but Santorum's very good I mean like I, he is there are times when I believe him when he's talking and that's not easy to make happen with me so <laughs> how about Jim Gilmore who? I mean like that's it who?
0: <laughs> yeah, I just I can't I can't remember a thing about him except for his weird smiley face. And I hope I'm even thinking of the right guy, but he kind of he looked like a happy troll doll.
1: Yeah, but that could have been Lincoln Chafee as well.
0: That's true. He's coming. Yeah. Don't skip ahead please, Jeb Next on the list, Carly Fiorina. Uh,
1: okay, so this is the thing I think of and I'll be honest here and I apologize. The thing I think every time I see Car- Carly Fiorina and I can't help it is Bill Nye,
0: the science guy.
1: No, Bill Nye, like N-I-G-H-Y, the British oh, actor. Oh, right.
0: <laughs> who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has got this swept back Actually. hair and the pursed
1: lips. Yeah, Love Actually, and he's the the old like vampire and underworld and and uh, uh, you know he's been in a bunch of those Richard Curtis movies, but they just have this uncanny similar resemblance. I think it's just sort of the length and thinness of their heads. And they both have the same pursed lips. He's got this very peevish, pushed out lower lip expression. And that was Carly Fiorina's kind of resting expression. And I just thought like, you know, they could get, you know, Bill Nye to show up on SNL and drag and it would be flawless and everybody would applaud it. But if you just sort of mouth off about that on Twitter, it's like, how dare you, you know, you're just insulting a woman's, you know, it's like, I'm not insulting yeah. her appearance. And, you know, I happen to like Bill Nye. I think he's a fantastic And he's actor. a
0: good looking dude.
1: He's a handsome.
0: He is a good looking cat.
1: He's a handsome and imposing man. And, you know, but he has certain gentle features. You know, it's, he, I think he would make an attractive drag. Not that, you know, like that usually works for me, but uh, it works with Bugs Bunny, but that's that's a completely different issue.
0: Carly Fiorina was someone who I really would have liked to have seen gotten further in the process because she was, like I was talking about before, these strong personalities that come up in American politics and she was like a real firebrand for a while there until she went absolutely fucking insane with the, uh, what is it called over there, the family, um, those those fake videos that she claimed were real of the um, people from the oh it's like family planning what's your version of family planning called in america planned parenthood there you go the planned parenthood video thing where she really kind of went off the deep end there and i think that's where she's lost any semblance of mainstream support from the republican base but up until then like she did really well in one of the debates and then lost the lead a little bit but she was fucking interesting she was this person who had this mixed history from the private sector which was amazing that she was the former ceo of hp i think but then kind of fucking tanked the company too so it was like this really kind of loaded context to her and she was weird and she was strong and she was a good talker and she looked really fucking angular i think is the word like very powerful
1: yeah, kind of cool. I, I think the, the, the sort of the analogy that a lot of uh, uh, women commentators I saw using was she had a very kind of Cruella de Vil vibe, uh, yeah, that's sort of tall yeah, and yeah. imposing. But I mean, the thing like the, the couple of things that you cited, like, you know, the first one that was just going to kill her in any climate in which Donald Trump uh, and that, that kind of uh, uh, protectionist thinking was, was you know, the, the flavor of the the cycle, right? she was never going to get over the fact that she, you know, didn't offshore, she right shored. That was the term, something like 22,000 jobs. Um,
0: what does right shore mean?
1: It just means offshoring, but it's the, like oh. the business speak, because you're putting them on the right shore where you can, you know, pay people less or, and you know, whatever. Um, so oh
0: wow. I've never heard that term before. There was is some Orwellian language.
1: There was that. Um, it, there was the fact that like, you know, the, the previous, I think it was Lucent that she worked at before. Or it was something, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Both of those companies, she basically kind of, uh, uh, you know, she, she had a lot of, uh, she made poor decisions that, that yielded short-term gain, but long-term didn't build the company. You know, during her tenure at HP, Apple creates the, uh, the, the iPod, the, you know, the iPhone and the iPad. And what does HP do? They bought a printer company. <laughs> uh, so it, it, there was that and then the fact that like all those forceful things that you were talking about they were bullshit like so I can still remember it's like the first thing I would do is I'd rebuild the Sixth Fleet then I would call my good friend Bibi Netanyahu and, and you'd go through like all she had the speech and like she had five items in it and like I think four out of five were from a fucking fantasy land so like the, the Sixth yeah. Fleet ...is largely administrative, right? So she's basically saying, like, I will rebuild the, you know, the, the naval accounting corps, right? And then, oh, you know, right. I'll call my good friend Bibi Netanyahu. Well, no, no shit, like, literally every president can call BB Netanyahu, doesn't matter... Uh, I'll, yeah. And then it's like I'll, I would step up these joint training exercises in the Baltic. Well, Obama's already doing that, so I don't know what you're going to do. What you got left, lady? You're going to do them twice each day. And then there was another one that was one of those things like I'm going to sh- make sure we do this, and we're already fucking doing that. So she had these great canned responses that sounded really forceful, but there was no substance to them, and she didn't have that kind of like that sort of oleaginous way of saying canned bullshit over and over again that makes people feel uh, empathized at the way that that Marco Rubio could just sort of weep for America and the audience on command, even as he was saying the same shit over and over. Uh, mm. Just you know, there was something like the 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 sexist term to use would be brittle, right? You know, and and maybe that is entirely my reading it because it was that personality coming from a woman and if it had been a male candidate you would just think well that's no nonsense but it, there the fact that she couldn't sort of deviate from that script and make it seem like it mattered i guess was might have been what sunk her well that and just you know like hp and, and her previous job and trump clowning her and you know maybe it was just her time to fall and the 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 oh there's category. a lot of
0: reasons why she did yeah there's, there's a whole buffet of options that you could pick for why she did not go further um let, let's get into lightning round you know i took my own bait in uh expounding on these names too much so my apologies okay so sure. we've still got like eight left mike huckabee
1: large adult sons
0: <laughs> chris christie uh
1: big chicken rand paul Uh, oh God. Um, what I just like the professor's son, right? Like the, the kid who, who aces all his prelim courses in college because his dad has just been feeding him the information all his life. Uh, but you know, so he shows up and he, he gets straight A's for two years basically. And then as soon as he actually has to take something difficult and think on his own, he's a fucking shambles. That's him.
0: Spot on man. Uh G. Bush oh man pity yeah Ben Carson uh, uh
1: what's what's his last name uh Dr. Bunsen from the Muppets <laughs> oh beaker is it no it's it, beaker's the one with the the bright orange hair and the really thin guy Dr Bunsen's the one who has the big glasses and no eyes
0: oh but wait the bald one who's always in a lab coat
1: yeah, yeah. So he's he's you know he's he lighter green than Kermit, and he's got the the I glasses, get, but he doesn't. He always, but he doesn't it's have like the. He's asleep all the time. Exactly. There you go. And he's a doctor.
0: My bad. That took longer than it should have for me. My apologies. Marco Rubio,
1: fraud, charlatan, grifter, mountbank. Yikes, John Kasich. Uh, face divots you know he's got cruz. he's got that pursed mouth and it just sort of you know they fold it in at the corners where you you just sort of like you no. feel like you could stick a pencil in the, like the little the lower corner of his mouth and it just stay there
0: he's like a mad magazine fold-in but kind of <laughs> like, <laughs> uh ted oh wait do uh ted cruz vampire yeah I would have also accepted Zodiac Killer and Donald Trump.
1: No, no, it's Zodiac Killer. Like, this is the thing. I'm, I'm totally going to stick up for this. Like, me and my buddy Brokair okay. used to have this running gag where we would just, like, accuse different members of the, the Obama administration of being the Zodiac Killer. And then finally, Jay Carney became the White House spokesperson, and he looks uncannily like the sketch of the Zodiac Killer. So we had this running gag, and then suddenly the Ted Cruz's Zodiac Killer thing starts from a guy who has a history of biting jokes and it was like, fuck that. Like, you know, the, the age isn't right. You will do- not accept doesn't fucking look like him or imposters to your Zodiac killer and gag. Get your own fucking joke.
0: <laughs> and true lightning round. I want to do it for the um, Democrats as well. Martin O'Malley. Remember him? The chest. <laughs> the chest. Lawrence Lasick.
1: Oh, um, Oh, Tiny, he's got the glasses that look almost like, pince, Uh, what is, how do you pronounce it, Pince-nez? Like Pince-nez, or, or, or whatever.
0: I don't know what they are. Lincoln Chafee.
1: Oh, Lincoln Chafee, doddery professor. Jim Webb. <laughs> Killed a guy.
0: Yes. <laughs> exactly where my brain went as well that was fucking freaky that moment doesn't get talked about enough in the dust cloud that's been created in the clinton trump debates but holy shit that was a moment to behold uh bernie sanders
1: uh i think yeah you said it earlier mensch i think mensch is a perfect word for bernie sanders
0: hillary clinton
1: um I don't know. Like I just want to think of a slogan thing, like something sort of pre processed. And all I'm thinking of is like trumped up trickle down, or when they go low, we go high. I, you know. Uh, See the
0: whole beauty of the word association game, jeb is it's supposed to get at your subconscious by not allowing these other thoughts to form in your brain. You're supposed to shoot from the hip and reveal your true character. Is a misogynist, racist, anti semite. That has been the this entire goal of the podcast. Uh, it's, it's all led up to this episode and this guy.
1: Star Trek administrator. I mean, it's killing me. No. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, you know, I, I made this joke back in the um, the Democratic primary. She she just looks like one of those guys from the next generation who just wears the you know the big collared long tunic. And yeah, that's good. And. And, and then, like, it just sort of the personality-wise, too, because those those people always have a problem that the enterprise identifies and that they have a blind spot, too. And they're usually well-meaning. They're probably bound up in a little bureaucracy, but they just have these, you know, these these tunics and 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 this sort of, you know, ritualized behavior within their own little governmental milieu. And so every time I see that, I just, you know, every time I see one of those outfits, I think, like, you know any any minute the away team is going to beam down and go listen uh we're going to have to help with your retail politics
0: (laughs) yeah she's she's a space bureaucrat is what you were describing yeah That's, that's not bad yeah um and i've got three bonus names for you jeb so listen up because the first one is vermin supreme
1: uh galosh he wears it on his head
0: nice jill stein
1: uh, I mean, vaccines and, and or no chiropractor, mm-hmm. right? She's Doctor Jill Stein, but she cracks your bones. I mean,
0: wait, a, wait, a, wait a fucking minute! Jill Stein is a chiropractor,
1: isn't she? I don't, I can't remember.
0: No, I think she's a medical doctor. Is she really? And we we right. must find because this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, we got to check this because the reason why that's such a big deal, um, for me, Jeb, and I'm sorry, I'm, I, my brain's trying to do two things at once as I desperately Wikipedia her. Uh, while talking to you my girlfriend is a is a a real doctor a um, general practitioner and she's got a real bugbear about uh chiropractors rolling around calling themselves doctors so that's a big uh that is a oh, big no, she's red M- flag she is a medical doctor yeah she's an md yeah Okay. Would you like to correct your answer, or should we just move on to the final name?
1: Oh, just the vaccine thing. Like that—that'd be the. the, I mean, that's still the first thing that comes to mind. Like, I'm going to flirt with this this fringe just because it's going to buy me some extra attention on the the and like I know that people have like, oh, we somebody parsed her her language and and or you know it was taken out of context or whatever. And I honestly just don't give a shit. I mean, like that's yeah, like the most defining aspect of her campaign, apart from the fact that. You know, as a substitute for actually having a plan, she just offered the Green Party to Bernie Sanders.
0: And even flirting with that whole anti-vax thing as a medical doctor, like, fuck you. I don't care what the language is. That is that is total bullshit. And last, and um, in some ways very much least, Gary Johnson.
1: Burkaban I didn't know about that. He uh, He, back in 2015... He was still advocating for a burqa ban, and uh, um, for the same reason that the French do—you uh, uh, know, ease of identification and reducing, you know, potential terror attacks or whatever. And it, it was just like—and I, I essentially—I wrote a column for the Guardian, and I—I I don't remember what the title was, but it might as well have been like, "How do you fuck up being a libertarian this bad?"
0: Yeah, yeah, that is an incredible um game of mental gymnastics that you are pulling being the head of the libertarian party and advocating that kind of policy that's uh <clears throat> what a brain what a brain to exist in for a day eh it, well, he, the he, mysteries he, it must contain he
1: later repudiated it but i think it was basically kind of people going what the fuck dude i mean this is like one of those no-brainers sort of like if you're a medical doctor and people ask you if anti the anti-vaccine movement has any legitimacy you go no fuck off
0: Thus concludes the fantastic rapid fire game. Thank you for playing, Jeb. Oh, we're thank. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk about actual newsy shit that's happening on this, the eve of the U.S. presidential election.
1: No, it is the presidential. We're already there.
0: Oh, you're right. It's two a.m.
1: Damn. Yeah. <laughs> All right several days before FBI Director James Comey sent his letter to Congress last Friday about this matter. In fact, Mr. Giuliani went even further and bragged about the information he had obtained stating, quote, did I hear about it? You're darn right I heard about it. So they're saying that you confirmed this morning you got this leaked information before the FBI wrote to Congress about the, the new review well, he that, wanted to do. I mean, that's there. not
0: correct. I, I've had no conversations with anyone inside the FBI.
1: Welcome back to Politics. And I would just like to ask uh, that we all take a moment and bow our heads in prayer uh, for the future of this country. And, uh, you know, just think, think about the words Dear Lord, Protect this Rocket House and all those who dwell within the Rocket House. Okay, that's good. Let's go. Break.
0: Okay, so the thing that's on my brain at the moment, Jeb, that I want to ask you about as a political journalist is the FBI. Because James Comey, the director of the FBI, has uh, come out in the last few days, and we haven't spoken for a long time. Um, He's come out in the last few days and said that upon... uh, analyzing the eight hundred and fifty thousand emails which they obtained through Huma Aberdeen um on a device that she shared with her husband, uh disgraced former New York senator Carlos Danger. Uh the Yeah, I was trying to remember his alias. There you go. Uh, Senor senora danger. Um so anyway, look, they got they got this big trove of emails. They've been through them and the final word from Comey was that it did not change their conclusion. Uh, that he put forward in July, I think it was, um, that Hillary Clinton was not going to be charged with anything. So uh, in amongst this, in the backdrop as well, Rudy Giuliani suggested that he had advanced word that this announcement was going to be made two days before James Comey came out and said that they had obtained this additional supposed um, relevant piece of information that could be pertinent to the Clinton case. Um, and as a result, people started talking about maybe an investigation going into Rudy Giuliani and how he got this information out of the FBI. He then was talking to Wolf Blitzer in the last couple of days and walked that back and stated that he had no inside information, um, although you got to say, like, he pretty heavily suggested that he had a contact in the FBI, that or someone who used to work for the FBI, uh, at least, who was feeding this information to him. So... All of this to say, my question, Jeb, is what happens? What is the relationship between presumed President Hillary Clinton and the FBI going forward from here?
1: God, that's a million dollar question. Because you know the obvious, you know the obvious thing you would do is fire James Comey, or you know, yeah. Like, well, he's got. I mean, they they have a, a fixed tenured term, but. I know that there has to be a mechanism for removing him. I, I don't remember what it is at the moment. Uh, I'm going to blame it. Being quitting three twenty one in the morning, um, and then you know you could you could go through and clean house because apparently in you know the New York one of the New York regional offices there is this sort of cadre of, of guys who are digesting Breitbart.com and seem to believe it wholeheartedly and have been agitating and pushing against Comey to uh, you know reopen investigation against Clinton. Uh, you know, I, I guess because they're just true believers, and and it's not surprising. I mean, the FBI is overwhelmingly middle-aged white men. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like that—that that would be the obvious tack, right? But the, you know, if the first thing she she does is make heads roll, there, it, it's going to look like well, you know, the liberals are cleaning house and throwing, getting rid of like any accountability mechanism that actually questioned them. This is, you know, and it's this, just, this is an yeah, updated the Clinton kill list only with jobs as yeah, opposed to lives.
0: totally, totally. And it's just something so uh, opposite to how Hillary Clinton operates. She, I don't think, even if she got rid of James Comey, it wouldn't be in a fashion where there was a big public firing. It would be some backroom deal where he probably got a golden handshake and maybe some ambassadorship later down the track to a very nice island some maybe new zealand we're pretty peachy here um in exchange for quietly stepping down in the interests of just moving the whole country forward but i suspect he's probably going to stick around and obama's white house has actually been issuing statements saying that they kind of have full confidence and faith in the fbi and james comey as a director and i can't imagine that there's a situation where the clintons aren't still Uh, communicating back and forth a little bit with the White House and that's some sort of coordinated message. So I reckon he's probably going to stick around, right? And they're just going to try and figure it out. And I think probably the way that Hillary Clinton interprets the situation going forward, this is how I would do it if I was in her shoes, is that she's probably got a lot of political capital with the director now. He kind of owes her. He's sort of fucked up. And it might be more useful to keep him round and have him in the state of kind of being on the back foot and a bit contrite about how the situation unfolded he, he might be a more useful utility to keep around that way
1: yeah, no that's a good read and especially if you can get him to clean house on his own accord if you you know you've, you've threatened him with well we're going to get one of our uh, we're going get one of our friends on a Senate committee to start an investigation of you mm. um uh, if, if you don't kind of, uh, you know, if you don't take care of this sort of rogue element, um, uh, because there would be a lot of ways to make it very, you know, easily palatable to the public. Uh, if you fold it into like, listen, if, you know, if we've got all these guys who are reading nothing but Breitbart, well, doesn't Black Lives, Black Lives Matter actually have something to fear from the FBI? Do we yeah. see, a, you know, a, a reinstatement of COINTELPRO? Because again, like there was this report that came out with this week that, you know, there are these you know, 15,000 agents around the country that like in many cases don't have a directed brief for what to pursue. They're just sort of going to find things and infiltrate things and, and encourage, uh, um, you know, sort of like what we've seen over the past couple of years with these foiled terror plots where it turns out that all the sophisticated weaponry and planning that these terrorists came up with was given to them by their FBI handler who just found some moron and kept encouraging him and going like, Oh, oh boy. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be great hey, if you had like, this, you know? I've <laughs> so,
0: worked in an office environment. I've worked in a hierarchical business structure. I like autonomy as much as the next man, but 15,000 of those dudes rocking around without a brief, that is too many for me. That makes me very uncomfortable.
1: Maybe like it's late, maybe it's 1500. Please don't quote me on it. Um, but it's still like, you know,
0: quote yourself, man, you're on a podcast.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was A friend of mine had a really good statement uh, yesterday, like, um, you know, we'd be much better off if all police were replaced with civil servants, <laughs> you know, because most of the, you know, uh, most of that job could be done by civil servants. And then I can't remember what he wanted to do with the FBI. But yeah, I mean, these guys essentially not having a very defined sense of what their job is and, yeah. and in many cases having the latitude to go and, and try to find, you know, a, a, a case or or some sort of malfeasance that makes them look good, you know, it it incentivize. like on one side, you can say that incentivizes being uh, um, more enterprising. And on the other side, Mm. you know, you have these, uh, you know, these cases, multiple ones over the last few years of these terrorists who are essentially engineered by the FBI looking for a terrorist. Um, And that's almost, that's exactly what you did see with COINTELPRO where you had the FBI infiltrating, um uh student ag- you know uh, student organizing uh groups and and you know agitating groups and saying like well why don't you agitate harder so that we can have a bust
0: yeah and it will be yeah.
1: telegenic and it helps to delegitimize your movement um
0: there is no doubt in my mind that that's still going on today as well can i just say i like that you're talking about this in the past tense but man that that shit surely is going on today i'll bet that that was happening uh in uh Zucati park is that what it's called Zuccotti. yeah zuccotti Park, and yeah, like I, I the Occupy movement, I am sure was infiltrated by FBI. Black Lives Matter has probably been infiltrated by the FBI. They like to have their grubby little mitts in every pie, you know.
1: Oh, sure, and, and it does go bad. I mean, that, that's the most entertaining thing about like all this outrage from the left about James Comey. It's like he's sullying the name of the FBI. I mean, <laughs> oh, place. That's like, I mean, you know, uh, that's like handing out you know, to to quote Apocalypse Now. It's like handing out speeding tickets at the Indy Five Hundred. That's like complaining about an accidental death, you know, in a charnel house. Like, <laughs> you know, so- th- th- this guy is really just updating a long and loathsome legacy of you know an organization that has been like a serial violator and and of civil li- civil liberties and plunderer of life for. Mm. You know, in ninety years.
0: Well, something tells me that uh, President Hillary Clinton's gonna do whatever she can to try and uh tighten the reins on if not just Director Comey, probably his fifteen thousand agents who are rolling around the countryside with nothing to do but look for trouble as well. Um Hey, one thing that's kind of interesting, this isn't really related to anything, but it's just been super interesting to watch is the international market's response to Trump going up in the last 10 days or so. So there's been uh, a bit of business commentary in various blogs and magazines and websites that whenever Trump's numbers go up, the US dollar has very um, observedly had a correlation where the dollar goes down compared to everyone else to the point where I met up with a friend of mine today I just saw them walking down the street they're about to come to the states and they were trying to pick the perfect time to exchange their money from New Zealand dollars to US dollars and she was going to go ahead and do it today because she knows that the results are out um, tomorrow and there's been so much fear in the market with the uncertainty about the election that it has been like tanking the American economy a little bit and it's just like it's incredible to me that Hillary Clinton is seen as so... Um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. Stable's kind of too nice, but like stayed and boring and establishment. And Trump is such a like discernible maverick to the international markets that it's having a discernible effect that you can observe looking at these different exchange rates. It's like a really... Interesting physical manifestation of of what the whole world's feeling.
1: Yeah, I, well, the, you know, it's it's not an original observation, right? But you know, there's a, a kind of a line that I've seen a whole bunch over the last year or so, especially with Trump, right? Where it's like, wouldn't it be nice if we could have a conservative party um, that was friendly to you know uh, friendly about creating stable markets and market opportunities uh, at home and abroad. And otherwise left people alone to be who they are. And we do have one. It's called the Democratic Party. Uh, Like, we just don't have an alternative to that. Uh, You know, all that kind of good government stewardship and and being favorable to to market forces and sympathetic to Wall Street uh, that the Democratic Party allegedly isn't, that stopped in the 90s. Um, Yeah. The only reason why the stock market goes up usually when... Uh, you know, when Republican candidates do better in presidential elections is they're going to be even friendlier. But if you look at the overall performance of the economy, if you you match up, if, if you compare Democratic presidencies to Republican presidencies post-war, the economy as a whole, not just the market, has always performed better yeah. than uh, yeah. under Democrats. So, like, they've got nothing to lose with her. With Trump, I mean, this is a guy who could, you know, just say, like, listen, we're freezing all... Um, you know we're freezing all chinese assets in the united states and we're going to seize them you know and, and we're going to cancel each other's debt out
0: uh, i get the markets never react to risk well like that's kind of fundamentally that, that is a fundamental market principle but in particular with trump's case like he's had a pretty um uncohesive foreign policy and economic policy but the bits that have always stayed the same has been this very protectionist um anti-international anti-trade viewpoint that like is just so damaging to relations with the rest of the world it's but it's it's kind of, I, I i think the thing i'm trying to articulate is it's super interesting to have one candidate who economically speaking the entire globe would not be looking forward to them getting in power
1: yeah no it, it it's i agree totally and that's why it's fascinating that he's still going to walk away with you know, like tens of millions of votes. It, it, like, everywhere, apart from, um, you know, the, the like, fucking Os- Oswald Mosley with fetal alcohol syndrome, Brexiter knockoff fucking English neo-fascist shits, right? But apart from them and, like, the Geert Wilders types in the Netherlands and, and the Marine Le Pen, you know, uh, slime trail, like... Everybody thinks this guy is extraordinarily dangerous and should be nowhere near the levers of power. And yet it's still going to be like, you know, four points. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. I mean, how could you have like near global unanimity that this man is a dangerous fuckhead? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's incredibly depressing too.
0: There are real reasons for that though as well. Like a combination of how... Mechanically, your political system works with regard to elections, but also. This thing that everyone, sorry, not everyone, a large portion of people who will be voting for Trump have projected whatever their own beliefs are onto this object, which is just anti-establishment and anti-the system. And I can totally understand that. I I, I get that. I get where that's coming from. And I guess that is how you get someone who's viewed as a James Bond level supervillain by the rest of the world, but will still, as you say, get within sort of four or five points of winning the presidency from the voting public
1: and on the ground, like on a one-on-one level, it's, it's very affecting and it's hard to watch sometimes. So, you know, you talk to people and you say, well, why do you support Donald Trump? And they, they mentioned, well, he's an outsider, um, Mm. which, you know, okay. Like, I mean, this is, this is at one point that may have meant something, um, you know if you made a strong enough argument for it it, it doesn't um you know it, it, like it, this is a statement of of there's no value added uh, by that yeah statement, it's a black right? hole yeah it's, and a, then... it's
0: yeah it's just a black hole that you can project your own shit into but like a black hole it just gets sucked up and you kind of don't have anything to show for it at the end
1: oh yeah no like you know the, the great example is all the Democrats in two thousand eight who were for Obama and and did not support Clinton. They say, well, you know, he was untainted by Washington. Well, mm. look, you know, in every other election, they're usually sending, you know, they're usually trying to elect somebody who is a career politician. And the Democrats make the point that like actually being a career politician is extraordinarily helpful because it gives you expertise in the job yeah. you actually want to have. And then when they got Obama, they go like, well, you know, he wasn't part of the system, so he had the courage to say no. You know, and 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 then. You know, as soon as 2012 rolled around, it's like, well, Mitt Romney has never been president. <laughs> and so now, you know, now we're back to expertise because Clinton has yeah. a shitload of expertise and we want to elect Clinton. Right. And uh, but like the, the the stuff that hurts. So, you know, you talk to these people and they, they they do the outsider thing and then they say, well, you know, he's such a great businessman. He'll just fix the economy. And it kind of goes back to that thing about Rick Perry versus uh Reagan, you know, if you think of Donald Trump as a success, as opposed to somebody who inherited a shitload of money, defrauded a lot of people, and then let Mm -hmm. interest do the work, um, and then is hiding what his real value is, because again, we still haven't seen his fucking taxes, like the guy might be worth $800 million as opposed to multiple billions, but... um, you know, if you believe that he's a success, then you rationalize immediately, like, "Oh, multiple bankruptcies. Well, that's just what a smart businessman would do." You know, not every yeah. investment's going to go the go the right way. So you got to get out. You got to minimize your risk. You know, if I were an investor, that's exactly what I would do. And you know, like the same people that if Clinton, you know, if Clinton had mismanaged her own funds in any way you know, had wound up yeah. with back taxes on anything, they'd be like, well, that's just cheating, that's you know, but Trump... But it's also, it's like,
0: I can kind of understand that argument of um, this is the guy who had a singular vision to go out and make as much money as possible that the legal system would allow, and within that system is thing like, things like legal... Uh, I don't know what the American equivalent is called, but legal liability companies where you're not directly attached to it so it can fall over and you're not personally liable for the losses that it sustains. I get that. But it's a different fucking skill set from doing public policy. Like the two things are not the same. There's this, I think through the course of politicians trying to, um, it's not the word for it, talk down to the public and rationalize how these big conceptual, mathematic, economic models work, trying to communicate that to them and liken it to terms that they'll understand, like balancing a household budget. They've conflated two things that are not related in an attempt to explain things to the public and how they would do things differently. And the problem is then you get people like Trump who come along and people go, he's a great businessman, which we can debate whether that's true or not, but let's assume he is. That still doesn't make him qualified to be looking after the largest economy on earth. Like they are two super duper different skill sets.
1: Yeah. Like, you know, th- this is uh, something I-, I kept harping on in 2012 as well. You know, well, Mitt Romney, well, he, he bane capital. Look at its, its valuation and, and look at how much money he made with that. Like, well, dude, you know, you can't bane capital in the United States. You can't take the United States yeah. and then, uh, you know, basically fire a bunch of the workforce and then sell off, like, your actual assets to somebody else and then take the windfall from that, like, from selling America's assets to, like, equity. Yeah. It, it doesn't work when you share the money with America. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. the same mechanisms that work at, you know, at, like, private equity firm and, or whatever, you know, mm. you're not going to be able to, you can't apply that, like, well, listen, uh, we're going to fuck somebody here, but we're going to come out great. I'm like, no, you got to yeah. make sure you don't fuck anyone. That's. Yeah. The point
0: that's the game and one final point i want to make while we're talking about this because i am aware that this this episode's blown out a little bit but trump is super guilty of this clinton is a little bit guilty of this as well um when talking about the economy and candidate political candidates on any level anywhere in the world always do this they always think that they will have some massive effect on jobs which i've never bought that they have that power and Trump in this cycle, and again, Clinton did it a little bit, claims that he would be able to bring these jobs back from China and Mexico where they've been outsourced to. It's it's a fucking lie. Like The president who's going to inherit the White House from here on in is going to have to deal with some trends in technology which include automation, self-learning, self-driving cars, and the internet continuing to take all of these retail and service industry jobs which is like huge portions of the total workforce like the majority i think the the most um uh, popular job in america is truck driver and that's going to be taken away quite soon thanks to self-driving cars and so the the next president isn't going to be dealing with getting these factory jobs back into America because they, they just aren't going to exist from here on in. They're going to be dealing with way different solutions and different problems. And that's why we're going to get um, a lot more conversations over time about uh, like a universal living wage um claiming that you're going to be able to bring these jobs, these like t-shirt f- making factory jobs back from China and Mexico is just fucking stupid. And I really am looking forward to the day when the wider public kind of figures that out and stops buying it.
1: No. Well, it was quite a rant, wasn't it?
0: Well, I'm, <laughs> it pisses me off as someone who reads a lot of like technology news and, um, I'm just continually impressed by the strides that like Google are making and these artificial intelligence agencies and stuff and how we can really weaponize it. And it's like the politicians, the way that they talk about it, are just so fucking out of touch. And what pisses me off the most is that they don't believe it. I know that it's disingenuous. These people are informed. They know what's going on in the world, and yet they sell this separate old-world vision of what's happening at the moment to the public, and it's completely unrealistic. And I'm god damn sick of it jeb
1: (laughs) well i mean like so part of it though like when they say i'm gonna create i mean are you talking about just creating jobs are you talking about bringing back a certain number of
0: bringing back jobs okay well both both i mean they they claim both
1: i mean because creating jobs i mean that's like a whole different donkey i mean if you if you pass like you know, if you pass something that, that is going to reduce college debt, right? you're going to create jobs because you're going to give people more discretionary income. Discretionary income creates a virtuous cycle in the economy because people are going out and buying goods. Somebody has to manufacture those goods. That creates a job somewhere. So, yeah. you know, there's that shit. And I think that's usually what Clinton is talking about. Now, there's certain jobs that they can bring back, like at least within NAFTA, where they've outsourced assembly, but still a huge portion of the car is manufactured in the United States. Just, so you still have those labor those labor costs built in. And then there are other it's mechanisms. It's true,
0: but the, num- the numbers, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but the numbers that we're talking about in terms of factory workers associated with auto manufacture these days is fucking tiny. It's like a super tiny drop in the ocean.
1: Tiny drop in the ocean relative
0: to what? Uh, to the total labor force. So, like, if you're talking about the amount of people who are actually involved in manufacturing cars now in terms of human beings, it's like, this is a tiny number. In terms of talking about policy direction, like, it's it's so insignificant, and I don't have the numbers offhand, but it's so insignificant that I don't think it bears mentioning.
1: So, this this is where I'm going to talk out my ass and, like, I'm probably going to get, like, Completely clowned on, on on Twitter about this later. So like I don't you know I have because it's just sort of been the consensus for so long and and uh, you know I haven't read a lot on sort of the rationality the you know, the economic alternative to uh, to free trade because it, mm-hmm. so I don't know what really the impacts of it necessarily would be. If you suddenly, erect, you know, I, I I know to a certain extent what will happen if you start erecting trade barriers. But the argument from free traders always comes down to like, all right, you know, you buy a pack of 12 tube socks and it's $6.99. Well, that's because it's made in China, et cetera, et cetera, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for this this wage. Um, you know, if you brought it back to the U.S., that would be $19.99 for those socks. And like, yeah, that sounds like a really, really great example. And that immediately makes me not believe it. Because these good examples are always, like, whenever you find an example that good, it's always bullshit. You know, so, you know, how much time is spent actually making those socks? Like, how many man hours are you you putting into making, you know, six pairs of tube socks that you can have this effect with, uh, you know, the wage? And then how much, uh, you know, how much expense are you putting in for shipping it from China to the U.S.? Because that's a lot of petroleum, uh, and then, yeah. you know, how are you off, you know, and then what about the, uh, you know, what kind of impacts are we having on the environment that we're going to actually have to pay for by, you know, all the fossil fuel expenditure and the lower kind of, you know, carbon standards in China? And then the other question is, if you're paying somebody to make tube socks in America, sure, that's going to make the cost of tube socks go up. But if you're paying them a living wage, again, you get into the virtuous cycle of what they're putting back into the economy. Because exactly. if they... You know, who, what other jobs are they creating? So, yeah, maybe you're starting with a pinch in, you know, tube socks, but what other viable, uh, you know, what other viable occupations does it create? And like more, more to the point, like, you know, how much are is, are, is the, the cost disparity in those tube socks amortized over the whole population and how much can we absorb? And the reason why I think you don't see a lot of that kind of discussion enter the mainstream to the point where it sinks into like a lowly blogger's head like mine is that for as long as i can remember it's been the washington consensus that anything other than free trade is suicide so there's never been right. an incentive to like really familiarize the public with you know viable economic counterarguments and i i hope that that's what sanders has kicked off so we can at least have a debate you know at all like and because Trump. there's been zero credit weirds joy yeah yeah but, But there's been, you know, there's been one side, you know, it's, it's been a conversation held in an empty room.
0: That is very big of you to admit that the country has been missing out on a debate and maybe there's a a small portion of your, how'd you describe it? Lowly blogger's brain that is, um, missing some, some stuff by virtue of that conversation not existing, Jeb. I'm proud of you, buddy.
1: I'm I'm missing a lot of stuff. Like, uh, you know, I thought Jill Stein was a chiropractor like 30 minutes ago.
0: (laughs) Well, we've all learned something today and that's that's what it's all about. Um, what a absurdly technical note to end on uh, <laughs> as we enter literally the final hours of the selection cycle. Jeb, um, it is entirely my fault that we have not been releasing these episodes as frequently as I initially intended, but it has been an absolute joy being with you for every step of the way. Um, This, I don't think, will be the very last one, but we're getting close to the wire, so let me just thank you so much for your time. It has been a thrill um, trying to keep up with that magnificent and informed brain of yours out loud over Skype, even at three in the morning. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it is a bit late. Uh, no, thank you so much. I'm so glad you suggested it. I I would never have thought to like come bang on your door about it. So, um, you know, I'm glad that that it occurred to you. It's been, uh, you know, and, and and I'm no longer terrified of podcasting the way I was before. Um, and there was a in uh, back in 2014 there was a podcasting accident. I don't really like to talk about it.
0: Oh my god, I don't know what the I'll get this offline. Um, Jeb, remind people where they can find you and find your work. On the interwebs?
1: Uh, tomorrow. So like probably after, you know, before this is this even comes out. So if you're listening to this, it's probably probably already there. I'll have a piece in Esquire. Um, I should also have a piece in Deadspin. And then depending, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I'm, I hope I can. I should be hosting um, Deadspin's, uh, co-hosting Deadspin's Facebook Live coverage of uh, the primetime election coverage. Uh, uh, so from like eight until... 8 until 11 or so it'll be i think alex preen in new york tim burke and i in tampa bay a few other people uh, around the globe affiliated with deadspin um i don't know if there's going to be uh pranks or abuse or, or just people mst3k the coverage but uh, you should stop by it should be fun uh hopefully we make uh, the experience bearable
0: <laughs> and on an ongoing basis if people are listening after that where can they find you on on twitter and facebook
1: Oh, it's uh, Twitter is at, at Mobute M O B U T E, and uh, Facebook is Jeb Lund's Word Salad. And what about you? Uh, where, where, where can everyone get at you?
0: Uh, I I uh, uh, I'm on Twitter. That's where I live. Tim underscore bat b a t t and if you want to tune in to my podcast which is the reason uh, why Jeb knows about me in the first place uh, as I have mentioned earlier me and my friend watch the same movie every week and keep reviewing it for a show called The Worst Idea of All Time you're welcome to dip your toes in there or not, I won't begrudge you not tuning in for that show Uh, Jeb, I'll talk to you soon stay safe, for the love of Christ get some sleep (coughs) and um, let's all have a few beers tomorrow morning
1: righto Still making up your minds or thinking maybe, maybe it's not worth voting at all. Let me just say the choice in this election could not be clearer. It really is between division or unity, between strong and steady leadership or a loose cannon.